This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey parents, Tim Wright here along with Dr. Michael Gurian, another episode of the Wonder of Parenting podcast, a brain science approach to parenting. And an important topic, we've talked about this over and over again, and of course it's going to keep coming up uh, with the creation of every new iteration of a cell phone or an iPad. How do we help our kids navigate that tech world? And we've got a special guest with us today uh, coming to us all the way from Southern California. And we're excited to have Dr. Catherine Perlman with us here. Uh, before we bring her on and introduce her officially, Michael, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. We we have had a big snow here. I'm up oh in my. Spokane, Washington. Big snow, and you know, so we we definitely are in our season. Uh, but I'm doing good. How are you doing? Good. I I went for a bike ride this morning, and it was 39 degrees outside. So it's chilly even here in Phoenix, Arizona. Huh? Um, invigorating invigorating. Uh, so before I introduce uh, Dr. Uh, Perlman to you, let me just uh, give a shout out to our two sponsors. Uh, the first is The Wonder of Parenting with Dr. Greg Jantz. Or, I mean, not The Wonder of Parenting. You find them on The Wonder uh. of Parenting. It's the center of place of hope. They have 37 years of leadership in the behavioral mental health field, a top 10 facility for depression. So they are one of the top rated uh, facilities in the country. Encourage you to check them out, wonderofparenting.com, wonderofparenting.com. And also then Man Cave and their mission, Man Cave, of course, stands for men all need to be caring, actively engaged, vested, and encouraged. And their whole mission is to improve the well-being of children by helping dads be far more engaged with their kids. It's important work. It's great work. Uh, Dr. Marion Hill's doing some good stuff here in Phoenix around that. And so I want to encourage you to go to wonderparenting.com for more information on both of them, the Center, A Place of Hope, and Man Cave. Uh, so, Michael, we have a, a guest with us today. Let me tell you how we connected, because I'm not even sure uh, Catherine knows this, but uh, I spoke at a conference uh, about a month, month and a half ago for stay-at-home dads. And they gave me a bag, and in that bag was a book called My First Phone or something like that. And I immediately put it in our church library, and I thought, we need to talk to this person. Uh, the book was very engaging. It was well-written, and it's a topic every parent is struggling with. And so, Dr. Catherine Perlman, thank you so very, very much for being with us on The Wonder of Parenting. We're glad to have you here today. Thanks for having me. So uh, tell us, first of all, a little bit about yourself. Uh, sure. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I've been working with kids and families for 25 years, uh, first in an agency and then for the last 15 years uh, in a private practice called The Family Coach. And I go into homes and help people with parenting issues in the wow. home. And um, I write about parenting because what I realized is I can only go into one home at a time. But if I write something, I can actually help many people who are struggling with the same topic at the same time. So what inspired you particularly to write this book and give us the title because I might have messed it up. Oh, sure. It's called First Phone, A Child's Guide to Digital Responsibility, Safety, and Etiquette. 
And um, it's something that was sort of brewing before the pandemic. I get a lot of calls from parents that are basically like, oops, my child saw uh, something inappropriate, something mm. scary. Um, they may have ordered something on Amazon. Um, people told me, uh, you know, they got five pounds of chocolate delivered from their kid uh, on Amazon. Another family got rain boots. Um, you know, so kids are are having access. And what I found is that these are often tech savvy, very conscientious parents who are very involved with their kids. And even they are struggling to sort of manage their kids screen time. Mm. And then what happened is the pandemic <laughs> where kids who maybe had one hour of screen time or no hours of screen time. Now we're having 10 hours of screen time. They were on with their school. Um, they were on for socializing. They were on for homework. Um, my son is 16 at the time he was 13. He was on literally for 12 hours, uh, wow. all day. And in that time they were on Google chats, you know, these young kids who have no knowledge of how to communicate in such an environment. Um, even in kindergarten, we're in Google chat. My son started, uh, on discord. And so what I was learning is that kids were having all this access in like an emergency rush and there was no education for them. Mm -hmm. And the other, the last piece was that, um, even when parents have a very safe and secure home in terms of technology, um, you can't control what happens at someone else's house. And so your kid doesn't right. have a phone or an iPad, but they go over to their best friend's house or they're on the bus and some other kid does. And maybe that parent isn't as tax savvy um, or as knowledgeable. And so kids are having access, even if your home is completely safe and secure. And so what I wanted is a book for kids so that they can make good decisions, even when their parents weren't around. Um, they knew the basic principles. They knew about safety and security and what to share and what not to. Um, they knew about some of the dangers um, and some of the joys and, you know, just all about technology um, for themselves. And then I also thought, you know, parents need this guide for them as, as a way of sort of, okay, what are the topics I need to talk about? What are the areas I need to uh, pay attention to? And how do I keep this discussion going? Well, it's it's so well done. Uh, mm -hmm. It really is. It's one of those books that parents and, and kids are going to look at together. And you designed it that way intentionally. Uh, right before we got on, we had a little bit of a discussion about phones, and we've we've had uh, in screen time. We've had this discussion uh, together, Michael and I. Uh, so, Michael, let's just sort of reiterate for everyone uh, kind of where you're at when it comes to brain science and screens, and then we're going to talk about um, how we navigate the reality of the screen world. And that's what Catherine's book is so good at doing. So give us a little bit of uh, a green summary of screen time. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, first of all, it's a great book. I, I read this book, you know, word for word, cover to cover. It's wonderful. Um, mm -hmm. And I do, I'm so glad that Catherine is on and that we're talking about this. And then one of the things I, uh, I asked her was, okay, so you're using examples like of eight and nine-year-olds, right, who have smartphones. And I I, was, I just, as you just said, before we got on, I said, no, I, I want to make sure, because on our show, you know, we're talking about let's put put off the giving of the iPad and the smartphone until kids are older. Um, and how do you feel about that? And, and Catherine's going to talk about that. And luckily, we are in sync. Um, you know, we're both really engaged in looking at the brain science. And, and so the summary, the summary, which, which I think Catherine can give nuance on is that, that we, we would like for the brain development of the child, we would like them not to have, uh, or I, now I'll go to me. I would like them not to have a smartphone, um, or an iPad with internet access, uh, until they're around 13. I'd like it to be a rite of passage, 
because of brain pruning that goes on. And, and uh, because if they have the smartphone at eight or nine or 10, um, they, they are going to be on it for hours and hours and hours. And so it's going to impede um, the important brain pruning period that happens from around nine to 14 and all of this stuff. So that's what we would like. The, uh, the reality is, though, that um, some kids are already on them. Uh, right. Some parents are not aware mm-hmm. of this research and their child is nine or eight or seven and already has an iPad, already is on a smartphone and um, so hard to get them off. And then also parents do want kids to be able, they want to be able to connect with kids. So so like an what, what I'm going to call an index phone, but there are a number of other phones that fit that uh, that don't have Internet access and that the kids don't spend as much time on. Um, for brain development, I'm fine with those. I mean, I think those are, you know, really a neat innovation. So those would be under the category of index phone, but for protecting brain development, we'd rather we put that off. I would rather we put that off for the kid till around uh, 13. My, uh, my granddaughter uh, who is 13 now, but uh, a year or two ago got uh, her parents bought her one of those um, Apple watches. And so she has very limited access uh, basically, all she can do is text mom and dad, and she can text grandma and grandpa, uh, and that's it. And it's a way just to sort of make sure that she's going to be okay if she goes somewhere, and um, and then she can she can call us, which is really nice. Um, but that's it. And the only way that people have access to her is if her dad unlocks her phone to that other person. So they've they've wisely put in some safety measures. So if their daughter's somewhere, she can get a hold of somebody. Uh, and, uh, of course, during the pandemic, it was great to be able to talk to her and, uh, on the phone and text her. Uh, and that's kind of, uh, uh, Catherine was, uh, as I was reading your book, part of what you're trying to deal with is to slow people down when it comes to getting screens to their kids, but also living in this reality. All right. If your kid's already on a screen, what are we going to do to protect them? So, uh, talk a little bit about, uh, some of the things in your book that you recommend parents do and grandparents for that matter, to protect their kids from overuse and abuse of these screens? Yeah, I mean, I, in a perfect world, I wish kids did not have technology um, at all. But unfortunately, since the pandemic, so many schools have stayed, they're in-person classes, but they've still kept the homework to be delivered online, Mm -hmm. lessons to be delivered online, videos. Um, And so young kids are really on their computers. And the thing is also my son, he has no use for the phone. Everything he needs is on his computer, his games, his discord, his friends. Uh Um, And so, you know, I really think parents should take a a broader nuanced view about um, digital um, education and um, and think of it in a way of how we think about puberty. Um, You know, we don't just wait till the kid is 13 and like, boom, tell them everything they need to know about puberty. We kind of talk to kids early on about, you know, just knowing body parts and safe, you know, living and um, stranger danger and just like all kinds of things that we teach kids. Um, We need to do that about in the digital technology space, starting in kindergarten, starting in first grade, because they are having some access. So what is a way that we are polite online? What are the kind of um, bits of information we never share, whether it's a friend or a stranger? Um, How do we know what's a safe link to click on? And how do we know if something is a scam? I mean, I know many adults that are falling for scams um, that are, again, smart, educated people. There is just so much to learn. 
And I don't think by the, you know, if we wait until the kid is 13, first of all, they've had so much access in a variety of ways um, in your home, in school, in someone else's home. Um, but I think it's just too much to pick up all at once. So I do like it when a kid gets uh, some sort of device, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, just like you said, maybe it's simplified, maybe it's just texting um, so that they can learn. You can't learn unless you're doing, you know, you can learn the concepts, but if you're not finding ways to um, put those concepts into practice, it just, it's poop. It's like learning a language, but then never speaking it again. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Um, And so I like the idea of slow rollout, of slowly beginning the education um, and talking to kids about technology, of talking to them about things we hear in the news. Um, You know, there are eight-year-olds that are doing TikTok challenges and are dying. You know, this is mm-hmm. stuff that may sound heavy, but this is our kids' lives. Um, and right. TikTok and YouTube might sound fun for them, um, but there are some dangerous sides. So I just think there's so much to learn. Um, and I try in the book to bring out basic concepts, um, like even just clickbait, um, even just like what's um, somebody, what's phishing? What is that concept? Just basic ideas. Um, so kids are like, oh, I know what this is. This is this person trying to get me to click on this. Um, I didn't actually win a new iPad. I, you know, that is a scam. Um, and just um, just hitting a lot of topics so that they have a great entry point. When they see it, they'll recognize it. Yeah. That sounds like such good right. wisdom to to say, uh, let's, let's sort of, as our kids are getting older, it's sort of like the bee, birds and the bees talk, as you're referencing. You know, you should really start that not when they're 8, 9, 10. You should start it when they're younger. Uh, so that they're comfortable with it. And you're saying the same thing with with uh, screens. Uh, of course, part of the challenge, and and I, I'm guessing it's even true for younger generations, but but uh, for dinosaurs like uh, Dr. Green and I, who are, uh, you know, we're not natives when it comes to tech, the tech world. We're just trying to figure it out as we go. Uh, and because tech is is constantly changing and evolving, even parents are, you know, we always feel like we're just a little bit behind the eight ball. And, uh, you know, so uh, sometimes our kids actually embrace things quicker than we do, uh, which makes it challenging. Um, Michael, when we when we talk about <clears throat> screens, and you and I have talked about this before, um, I know that you sometimes make a little bit of a, a difference between sort of passive uh, screen time and, and active or interactive um, so let's say watching uh, a movie together as a family versus being online with buddies playing a game. Um, how talk a little bit about some of the nuances of that? Yeah, usually when we um, 
And Dr. Perlman, I'd love you to weigh in on this. We we talk about that that one of the reasons to avoid heavy use of screens, and and this has been uh, even proven as we're starting to get research out of COVID, and like you said, the ten hours, the twelve hours, that there's um uh, the brain is not as engaged, right? There's more passive learning, um, and not as much retention. Uh, right. So so when we're talking about passive, we're meaning we're meaning that. Um, and, and, but but some things are interactive too, like uh, video games can be interactive. Doing doing math puzzles with other people somewhere else, right? Doing that inter- interactively online, um, that can create the interactivity. Um, and so we 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 do try to make these distinctions. Um, where with always the caveat, with always the caveat that okay, as you've just said, the best learning is experiential. So the more um, like I was just on a Zoom call with a phone this morning, uh, 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 with a school this morning, and we were talking about how to help them titrate out of their kids uh, still being on the screens, like like you referred to, Doctor Perlman, and they're like they're finding it hard. The teachers, it's easier, right? But they're finding it hard to go. Okay, we got to go back to more interactive learning. We got to go more kinesthetic learning, mm-hmm. right? Because the screen is passive. The kids aren't going to retain as well, etc. So. That that's kind of what what I'm I'm hoping that people will take away as they think about when to give their kids screens and for how much that they'll take away that e- there are even cognitive issues at stake and that we really want learning to be more more brain friendly which means it's going to be more kinesthetic more moving around more interactive more more relational um, non screen. At the same time, I, I just think you're making such an important point, Dr. Perlman, that that kids are already there. So it's so essential that they learn the rules, um, right? And, th- and that, that I, I think, is such an important thing you're saying. What, what, what would you also say about the passive learning and about the screens as passive? Do you have anything to talk about there? Yeah, I mean, I think not all screen time is created equal. I absolutely mm. agree with that. And I think parents have to assess what each kid is doing online. You know, my daughter is just scrolling through TikTok videos. It's mindless. It's wasting time. And mm-hmm. in fact, it's having an emotional effect on her. My son yep. is playing video games in the kitchen where I am. I hear him. He's on the phone with his friends. I'm hearing the interaction. I'm hearing the conversations. And they're playing video games. It's very interactive. Aside from that, the video games, some of them, like Minecraft and Roblox, there is some educational component. There's a cooperative component. Kids are socializing online in very different ways. They're not hanging out together as much as they were, especially in the teen years. Um, So I don't think all screen time is bad time. I I can hear what he's doing. I even hear him counseling his friends on the video game about personal things. And I'm like, bravo, honey. Um, So I think a lot of good things are happening. But the problem is that that is the default. So once a kid is on a video game, once they're on a screen, it's like the, the motivation to do anything else just goes way down. And it's very hard to get off that screen. In fact, when I talk to parents um, about the book, when I do um, school presentations, I talk a lot about the design of the phone, the design of the computer, You know, why we get notifications, why we um, get likes and shares and all of these things that are sort of like hitting the reward systems in our brain that are basically like, look at me, look at me and don't get off because this is so much fun. Um, and whatever else you're doing, it's not going to be as joyful as this. And so I think it's important in homes where there is a lot of screen time, and even if it's good screen time, um, that you have screen-free time. 
you know, that you really ensure that from certain hours, certain days, there are no screens because that is when hobbies are going to develop. That is when people are going to do the interpersonal stuff in person. Um, that is when we get outside and get in nature and have the sun on our face. Um, all of that stuff is really important. And I think for kids and especially teens, um, the pull of these devices, once they're on it, is so strong that we really have mm -hmm. to work hard to, you know, limit the notifications and do um, work with the settings in our phone. Like even I, when I was writing the book, realized during the pandemic, I was spending way too much time just scrolling through Facebook and Instagram, doing literally nothing productive. Um, and right. so I set my phone so I can only do an hour a day total. That's the only, uh, you know, that's what I want to spend. And I know if I don't have this outside tool helping me, I'm just going to waste time, you know, when I'm waiting for something or, you know, I don't know what, but um, so I think it's important to use the tools um, and to create screen-free time and other ways to get kids off. I, I'm so glad you raised that. I, I, you know, Michael's talked a lot about, um, you know, how much, how much screen time a day taking weekends off. So, you know, all that's a great affirmation uh, in your experience. Uh, how do you actually help parents wean their kids off uh, the over amount of, of screen time. Uh, and, uh, and, and what have you been seeing? Uh, we got an email, uh, not too long ago from someone who's, they're trying to get their kid off of screen time and the kid's going through trauma, right? Yeah. <laughs> trying to go through that. So what has been your experience of helping uh, parents trying to help their kids get off of screen time? And what are some of the, uh, the, the words of wisdom you would give to them as they go through that process? So there are a couple of things. One is um, I, when I speak to parents, I always say, if there's one thing you take away from this discussion, it is this, keep the phones and the computers and the iPads out of the bedroom. So what we know is somewhere between 70, 80% of teens have their devices in their rooms and thus mm. they're on them all night long. Mm. I even had parents um, tell me that their eight-year-old was sending an alarm to wake up and play iPad in the middle of the night. And when I told that story to the dad's conference that you referenced, a dad raised his hand and he said his five-year-old was doing that, was wow. setting an alarm to wake up in the middle of the night to play games. So um, I think that is a very important, just um, line in the sand, non-negotiable. We turn off the devices an hour before bed and they are charged outside of the bedroom. So that is really important. And then I think creating um, family rules around when we use screens and again, making that non-negotiable. I think kids who have um, very wishy-washy parents who are kind of struggling with the implementation of these rules, um, they push really, really hard against the rules and the parent gives up because it is just so hard. But I think if a parent decides that this is a non-negotiable, I tell them, give it three to five days with this rule. I promise that pushing is going to go down. And when your kid realizes right. they're not getting it back, they will give it up. They will move on. My kids have, you know, no phones and stuff in the bedrooms. They have screen-free requirements. I tell them to turn it off and they know when I say that, it's done, it's over. I'm not going to bend. And I think, you know, my first book is called Ignore It. And that is, I tell them when your kid starts to whine and complain and give you like the full, um, you know, on tantrum about putting their devices down, number one, that's a great sign that they really need to put their devices down. And um, two, just ignore it. You've explained to them it's time to put it down and, um you've given them the warning you, and now it's time. That's it. They can whine and complain. They can be angry. That's, those are appropriate feelings to have. Um, but we're just going to move on from that. So I really encourage parents to ignore a lot of that, um, tantruming because usually it works to override parents. Um, 
And if you ignore it and have some non-negotiable rules that you de decide, um, then I think kids adjust. And I also think for older kids, for teens, have them in on the conversation. You know, it, yeah. your kids know when they're using their devices too much. They know what the stresses are. They know when they need a break, but they just need help. So I think if we talk to them about it and say, okay, tell me about your feelings about your screen use. You know, what do you think would be a great solution? And then they have personal agency and some self-determination, and then they're much more likely to follow through on it and build the skills they need to be an adult in the world with technology. Right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, Michael, as I, as I listen to that uh, and what she's saying, uh, alarm bells should be going off for all of us who are parents and grandparents that, that this isn't just about a phone. This is a this is a safety issue for our kids. This is a developmental issue for our kids. Mm -hmm. uh, we're we're almost talking about using phones the way we would talk to our kids about alcohol and drugs, right? Um, mm -hmm. Which is not a conversation that my parents had with me when it came to watching Saturday morning cartoons on TV, right? That was just a whole. That wasn't even in the the ether for us. This is a different world, and these phones are great communication devices. They're great tools. We're using technology right now to come to all the folks listening to us, mm -hmm. but there are some built-in dangers. So Michael, uh, give us again for you, uh, <clears throat> some of your, uh, your boundaries when it comes to the amount of screen time people, kids should have throughout the week and then weekends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I love what you're saying, Dr. Perlman and the, the just ignore it is so great. Uh, you know, they, they, we, I can't, can't tell you how many uh, emails we get or Facebook posts, you know, from people asking questions and they are, they are often, not always, but often moms who are in a, mm -hmm. in a power struggle with their child about something that is really reasonable. Like the mom is being really reasonable, you know, and this is an example of, it is so reasonable um, to say none, you know, an hour before bed, everything's out of the room. And like, there'd be no pediatrician that would disagree with that, right? There'd be no, there's, that's completely every, we are all in agreement on that. And, and the mom or dad is asking for something very reasonable. And yet the power struggle ensues. And your point of view on it, I totally, I just love it, which is, you know what, <laughs> that's, that's it. We just move on. And and uh, it's so important for our listeners to hear because it's um it's yet yeah, it's another person saying it you because because I'm you know Tim you know I'm always saying okay you're the parent this yeah, power struggle parent. you don't have to get in this power struggle you're the parent and this is reasonable um okay so then in terms so I just want to second that so in terms of the um 
it's, it is developmental. And um, in Saving Our Sons and in Minds of Girls, I divide it up into two-year periods. And um, and please, Dr. Perlman, tell me where you're at with this. I'm going to pick a couple two-year periods. Like we, we, you know, we look at birth to two. So we're, we're trying to say to parents, um, basically none, basically not needed. Uh, if you're going to FaceTime with grandma and grandpa or something, okay, great. You know, that's relational. That's really neat. But basically for that age group, none. So we don't, so uh, we don't want parents or anyone handing that those infants, the smartphones to play games on um, because basically none. And um, uh, so then I'll jump to another age uh, and then pl- would love you to respond. I'll pick, uh, I'll pick uh, eight to 10. So for the eight to 10 age group, um, if they're going to be on devices, we're planning or any screens, we're planning that time out. So first of all, no video games. If they are playing video games, no video games on school nights. Um, I would love to see them not being, not playing video games yet, uh, not gaming yet, but a lot of them are. Uh, then uh, with schoolwork, we'd like to say, I'd like to see, you know, an hour, an hour and a half in a school uh, on screen and the rest is kinesthetic learning um, uh, experiential learning, et cetera. We know that they're spending more time than that, but for brain development, I'd love to see that. And then at home, you know, maybe an hour that they're on screens, but if it's, uh, watching a Disney movie or something like that with the family, then of course that's great. Those are two hours, but you know, that's fine. But the whole thing is to try to get that down if we can to like three to four hours during the day would be a high amount that an eight-year-old is on a screen. And we'd even rather not see that. Um, uh, and it is about the dopamine and the reward system. And, and as you, as you noted, um, because brain development is so dependent on the dopamine system and the way that it creates reward. Okay. So uh, sending it to you, what do you think of the, what we're saying about those two age groups or any other age group? Okay. So I'm in complete agreement on the zero to two. Um, I think unfortunately we've become a society where, um, when it's convenient for the parent, we just give them a phone. Um, to occupy the kids instead of having a toy bag with us or having snacks or planning it out or only going to fast restaurants. Um, It's become normal. In fact, once we went to, I think it was like the Olive Garden and there was an iPad on every single table. And I was like, no, that is not, I do not want that in my life. Um, And I think it sets up really bad habits. And I think from zero to two, Parents actually set up these amazing habits where we communicate during meals, um, where we read at the doctor's office or we play toys. We have toys. I mean, my kid is 16. The youngest one is 16. I literally just stopped carrying toys in my bag. Um, Maybe I'll even have (laughs) cards. Um, I might have cards in my bag. We played a million games of Uno Uh. while waiting for our food to arrive. But I think, believe it or not, Mm. from zero to two, Mm. we are starting to train our family in terms of habits and how we spend time together. And so um, I help parents by having some rules around mealtimes. And I think that really goes a long way um, to like leave mm. technology out and build relationships during that time where it's like really focused mm. and we're not bombarded. Um, as far as the eight to 10 age group, I also agree with you. I mean, honestly, my perfect world in elementary school, I just don't see a major need for um, technology in the classroom. I mean, mm-hmm. I... Um, maybe old fashioned, but I think at that level of learning, it's really, again, just kind of getting them into gaming, but in an educational sense. And that's always going to be more fun than going through the book. Um, So in my opinion, I'd rather not have that. And then the kids go home and have an hour of screen time. 
I really recommend for the younger ages, you know, below 13, that that's done in a family room, that's done with an adult around. Even if a parent isn't, you know, sitting with the kid while they're watching a video or playing, them being around allows the kid to ask more questions. It allows the parent to sort of peek and be like, oh, wait a second, you're on YouTube. Like, I didn't say you could watch another video on YouTube, you know, um, things like that. So I think, you know, having some things in place where um, no matter what their age is, we're kind of, you know, there's a parent around. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think we need to slow down technology. And unfortunately, I don't know that it's working so well for parents to say an hour a day. Um, I right. think there's so many competing um, needs. Um, one is school, but two is social. I think, you know, one or, some kids have one or two friends, they're in the neighborhood, they're not on devices, it's not that important. But in some communicate, communities, everything is happening in texting or in an app. I've even had parents call me that the coaches are requiring kids to be in Discord or some other kind of um, group app where they can send out information. And parents are like, I don't want my kid in Discord, but I want right. my kid to be mm -hmm. on the soccer team. So there are all these competing mm -hmm. things that are happening for parents. I, I think sometimes it's easier to say like, I am preserving screen free time. So between the hours of four and six, when we do homework, there's no free, there's no screen time. And this is adjustable. It depends on what works for the family. Um, or during meals, there's no uh, screen yeah. time. Or after eight, there's no screen time. Um, I think in some ways that's a little easier for parents to manage um, and then have like a blanket rule for the home. And um, then kids know, okay, oh, it's eight o'clock, we're done here. Uh, or whatever it may be, but yeah, I'm I'm on the same page with the amount of screen time. Mm. Yeah, Captain, can, I, can I just add? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I know please. we're going to close, but I just want to yeah. support everything that that Dr. Perman, that Catherine just said, and and I feel like what you said about elementary school doesn't really really need screen. I'm in complete agreement, and I feel like that can be like a wake up call to schools at, at, that that our schools really need. Uh, it's post COVID now. Um, we mm -hmm. are in, you know, in-person learning now. We can argue about whether it's post-COVID, but we are in in-person learning. So, so um, this is really important for schools to get back on board with the concept that they don't—they don't have to be one-to-one. -one. They every eight every eight-year-old does not need an iPad. It, it isn't—it isn't a show that the school is doing education right um, in its competition in the marketplace to give every eight-year-old an iPad. It's really not. It, in fact, might indicate that they're not fully tuned in to brain development. And and um, even though there's been social pressure to be one-on-one -on -one and for elementary schools uh, to be one-on-one, -on -one, and, and, and the iPads can help some education, especially in low-income communities. And so, so there are assets to that. But at the same time, uh, to be targeting elementary schools with one-on-one -on -one and with iPads and with laptops at six, seven, eight, nine years old, um, I, I want to second what you're saying. I think that there's danger there. And, mm. and it also creates danger at home because the parents, it is very hard. If the school has had the kid on the, on the pad for three or four hours, let's say, um, the, the parents are going to have to have their kid on something at eight years old because, like you said, he, he wants to interact or she wants to interact. So, so the child is, even with good rules, is going to be an hour or two. Um, even though we're saying an hour, we'd rather that, but the child is, you know, so then that is six hours for an eight yep. year old. 
So I, I hope it's a wake up call for schools too. I appreciate what you said, Dr. Paul. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, just the little pearls that you've given to us today, Catherine, have been fantastic. This idea of carrying a deck of Uno cards it, along with you so that when you're waiting in the restaurant for the food, you're playing Uno together. It's just so simple and so brilliant um, that uh, I, I hope people say, I, I got to buy this book because that's just genius. Uh, I know for me it's yeah. how easy it is when Jan and I are out to eat and I'll just pick that phone up and I'll turn it up. Oh, there's Facebook. Oh, I got three notifications. Oh, I got it. And then, you know, all of a sudden the meal's over and I've been in Facebook the whole time. And, uh, you know, if Jan and I had, had cards or something else, I wouldn't have done that. So it's brilliant stuff. Tell us again the name of the book. Uh, the book is called First Phone, A Child's Guide to Digital Responsibility, Safety, and Etiquette. And it's Catherine Perlman. That's Catherine with a C and Perlman, P-E-A-R-L-M-A-N. Uh, one more time, the title. <laughs> First Phone, <laughs> A Child's Guide to Digital <laughs> Responsibility, Safety, and Etiquette. We want to make sure you get that. So go to Amazon.com and pick it up. It is a delightful book. It, it is, is a kid-friendly book. Mm -hmm. uh, well-written, illustrated. Uh, it's just a beautiful book. Catherine, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks, Catherine. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.